PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where board studying is now more enjoyable. I am Iltafat Hussein, joined by Dr. Blake Briggs. What up? Hey, Blake, for every 10 to 15 minute episode, we throw down high yield board knowledge and we like to be a little bit of funny with the stems. Please sign up on our website for free updates and episodes as well as printed handouts on topics by going to our website at emboardbombs.com. That is emboardbombs.com. You can follow us on Twitter at emboardbombs and on Instagram at emboardbombs. emboardbombs. <laughs> hey, Dr. Briggs, you ready to do this? Yeah, let's hit it. A 30-year-old male is attending an international toastery convention when he suddenly begins feeling more short of breath. He states he was sampling some toast this morning with a tasty homemade currant jelly. Yeah, we're not joking about that. Topping when he later noticed gradual onset of coughing and sputum production. He thought it might be related to the new Aztec barley in the bread. He arrives in the ER with a temp of 101, heart rate 111, blood pressure 125 over 90. He denies any medical problems. X-rays show left lower lobe infiltrate, no effusion. What is this patient's next step? A. Obtain sputum culture. B. Obtain CT scan. C. Admit for IV antibiotics. D. Discharge with oral antibiotics. E. Administer antibiotics and place in OBS status. Briggs, what's the correct answer here? So For the this zebra. <laughs> <laughs> Super rare issue. Uh, the answer here is going to be choice D. We're going to discharge this guy, get him some nice antibiotics, and fix his pneumonomia. Wait, it's not? Uh, yeah. He's not from the Ohio Valley? No. <laughs> or the Mississippi River Valley? <laughs> Mississippi no. River. Did you hear the, the recent... Um, uh, pneumonia protocol changed, and we're not calling it pneumonia anymore. Oh, we're not. What no, is the, it? the P is not supposed to be silent. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. In America, we pronounce it differently. The P should be definitely involved. Pneumonia. Pneumonia. Okay. Okay. So we're going to talk about pneumonia today. Outpatient <laughs> pneumonia. So there, are, you know, three types of classifications we learned ages ago: CAP, which is community acquired pneumonia; HAP, which is hospital acquired pneumonia. Those two are straightforward, right? And then there was this one for a while, the H CAP. Or a cap, yes. oh, <laughs> which is healthcare acquired pneumonia, but we've gotten rid of that, so that's not going to be really tested on boards anymore. I know Wait, that. So we're not just giving vanxosin to everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you so serious? just because they're in a dialysis center doesn't mean they get vanxosin. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that actually was the reason they were getting way over tested. <laughs> way too much. Was, so yeah, actually, people ended up in dialysis centers more because of all the vanxosin they got. <laughs> so. We added to the renal failure population. Right. So the problem is, is that these people are going to be um, the HCAP people. These are referred to the healthcare facilities, right? Nursing homes, hemodialysis centers, outpatient clinics. We were treating these people as like hospital-acquired patients. Turns out the data doesn't really help us there. Most of these patients did have community-acquired pneumonias once their cultures came back. So we scaled that back. So an HCAP patient should be handled case by case. It's kind of a could-be community-acquired, could-be right. hospital-acquired. Right. Makes sense. Right. I think that's reasonable. But today we're going to talk about just community-acquired pneumonia. We're not going to talk about hospital car, which just as a reminder here, there's a lot of classifications, but in general, a hospital car pneumonia is either greater than 48 hours after admission, you start having symptoms, or you're less than 90 days since hospital discharge, or you were just discharged and you received antibiotics during that stay, you know, for greater than 12 hours, 24 hours, whatever your hospital guidelines are. We're not going to get into that. Let's talk yeah. about community acquired pneumonia. Community acquired pneumonia and what Dr. Briggs is going to go through are going to be things you need to know for the boards. So scoring criteria to determine mm-hmm. whether or not a patient can be inpatient or outpatient. 
patient. That's critical note, critical to know as an EM physician. And the other part of that is the bread and butter on antibiotics. We're not going to do a super deep dive on antibiotics. We're going to let you know the key antibiotics, key contraindications as well. Sorry, I was sipping from my Amboard Bombs mug. <laughs> so radiographic evidence is the gold standard for diagnosis of pneumonia. And sputum culture is optional. You're not really often necessary to do that for outpatient treatment. Very low failure rates of empiric therapy for standard community-acquired pneumonia, especially in someone with no comorbidities, like this gentleman in this question. So it might be beneficial to do sputum cultures in unique cases, like Legionella, obviously tuberculosis. <laughs> Because we're going to totally discharge those people. Right. Hey, go back to your... People that are being admitted, right? Go back to prison and infect everybody. (laughs) (laughs) So sputum cultures, you shouldn't be doing those typically if people you're sending them home. I don't think that's standard of care. And again, case by case. So the answer choice for obtaining sputum culture for someone you're likely going to send home, otherwise no other comorbidities, not really a good plan. So... What does decide on admission to the hospital, right? Because that's where this question is getting at. And I've seen exact questions asking. This is a classic board question. They want to test an ED doctor's kind of two classifications here of skill. Um, How to diagnose pneumonia and treat it. And then what's your disposition of these pneumonia patients? Given that pneumonia is the most common cause of bacterial infections in this country. Um, You picture this patient, this question, functioning at home, basically. If I send this patient home, are they able to function, take their medications? How's their oral intake? Are they compliant with medications? Where do they actually live? Are they in a nursing home? Do people give them meds to them? Are they homeless? Are they even going to be able to fill their medications? Um, Are they at risk of infecting other people around them? Do they have any mental illness or cognitive impairment? And there was a score that was incorporating a lot of these factors that was invented several years ago called the PORT or PSI score. And basically it measures the risk of death from all causes in 30 days. It's been extensively studied and verified. Um, So not only we recommend it, but many societies recommend this score. So let's quickly go through it here. And things to keep in mind, Dr. Hussain can add his color commentary as usual. So PSI score. So you go from class one to five. The class one and twos are gonna be outpatients. We'll talk about what these are in a second here. The class threes are gonna be observation period with eventual outpatient. So it's kind of the halfway mark, can't really decide it yet, right? You're kind of waiting for the patient to declare themselves how sick they're going to be or how well they're going to be. And then the class four and five is going to be admit to the ICU or floor, depending on what their status is, how sick they look. So the risks of a class one and two of mortality in 30 days is less than 1%. Mm. So that's pretty mm. darn good. You have a higher risk of getting in your car and dying in a car accident today than less mm. than 1%. Sorry, that's the morbid things I think about when I go home from work. That's the morbid thing I tell my patients too. So. <laughs> Well, I'm glad we're all being honest. Honesty is important. So class five was nearly 25% mortality. <laughs> That's like literally one out of four people. So let's talk about the scores here. You're gonna, we're not going to go through the whole PSI port score. Um, and you don't really have to memorize that. I think this is not a memorizing thing. This is a logical, common sense thing. Yeah, it's really not. Basically, you're going to go through and you're going to basically decide this patient comes into the hospital or not. One of the best ways to do this, actually, is you just look at your patient. And this guy right here is 30 years old. And so automatically, if you're older than 50, you automatically gain a few points. Right. And then it goes downhill from there, you know, based off of how high their fever is, um, how uh, many comorbidities they have, like especially, and we're not talking about just high blood pressure, right? We're talking about, you know, poorly controlled heart disease, poorly controlled COPD or any history of COPD. So tell me that age cutoff again. 50. So for boards. Boards are really going to have age cutoff around 50 for a lot of these risk stratification scores, right? And then you're looking at vital sign changes. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, the, kind of the next step there is going to be comorbidities, correct? Absolutely. So really three things in my head that I'm looking at when I look at a question stem or I know the answer choice is pneumonia and I'm being asked to decide between outpatient and inpatient. Absolutely. Age, 
vital signs that they present me with and comorbidities. Key vital signs in particular to look at are going to be new oxygen requirement, and they'll tell that to you as well. We didn't give you an O2 sat here, but they would give you a low O2 sat or patient potentially requiring supplemental O2, which would be an obvious admission. And then they'd want you to treat with appropriate antibiotics. This is a quick, like kind of a dirty assessment of this score. If you're less than 50 years old, like this guy, and you have no medical comorbidities, and your vitals are not sepsis, you know, buzzing, they're going to go home. That's always the answer on this for question. Sure, for sure. As long as everything I said about, you know, mental capacity is fine, homelessness is fine. If you got an average Joe coming in here and he has pneumonia and he's less than 50 years old, no comorbidities, he's going home. That's what the question is going for, and that's what our question was going for. Right. If you're greater than 50 years old, then you automatically classify outside of class one. You're automatically from class two through class five. Right. And from there, you have to kind of work, of course, the vitals, as Dr. Hussain was saying, and the medical problems. And by vitals, I'm not saying just you know above 90. It's not. It's actually more strict criteria than surge criteria. So actually, specifically, you have to have a heart rate greater than 125, a respiratory rate greater than 30, a blood pressure less than 90, or a temperature greater than 40 degrees Celsius. So it's not just like the, oh, I have a fever at 100.4, my pulse right. is 100. That's not going right. to ding this uh, port PSI score. So keep that in mind. These are, I call them severe vitals. So let's talk about antimicrobials. Selection is based of antimicrobials on obviously the most likely pathogen, the risks of antibiotic resistance in the local data, which they're obviously not going to be able to test you on. It's critical that you know what your local practice is and also what... Uh, they're going to test you on. Absolutely critical you know uh, things like macrolids in your community, like for example in our community, does not do a good job of treating community-acquired pneumonia. However, for boards, eh, that could be Andrew's choice. <laughs> so yeah. you should focus on that. Exactly right. So antibiotic selection is based off of local data, which won't be tested on. But the two things that will be tested on is what's the most likely pathogen? Right. And what are the medical comorbidities of this patient if you're sending them home? Yeah. So the most common bugs, you know, just a quick review, we all know this, it's strep pneumo, the answer to literally everything above the diaphragm, it seems like, yeah. is for any infection with sinusitis, pneumonia, ear infection, and meningitis. <laughs> Why not? Um, mycoplasma would be the second most common, especially in young people. And then there's like a cadre of little viruses, right. Legionella, H-flu, Moraxella, Cateralis, right? All those crazy bugs we learned about in med school. Post-flu or recent hospitalization, got to worry about staff. Got to worry about pseudomonas. These people are typically sicker. They typically meet higher port PSI scores because they're older than 65, and they're going to need admission. So we're not going to worry about those people. Yeah, and it's critical to know the post-flu patient and staff. That is one more and more on the boards, especially with the prevalence of flu and the comorbidities associated with it. And the older the population is getting. And the older the population is getting, exactly. Yeah. So let's, again, go back to our cat patients. Really, the two major drugs we're going to give here, the classic ones are the macrolides and the quinolones, which they should not be given routinely for mono outpatient therapy. The macrolides have had an increasing resistance, actually, 20 to 40%. Right. It's pretty bad. You know what's happening? We're trying to uh, give azithromycin for all these viral URIs. It's not uh, working too well. Anti-inflammatory. So unfortunately, so this is kind of a muddy area. It's not really tested on boards. You'll see a lot of board questions ask you, hey, you got a young person with an atypical pneumonia or suggesting that. What are you going to send home on? And azithro will be the answer. I know that's not really up-to-date knowledge here, but that's okay. The board's maybe lagged behind by a few years, and this is recent data. So it's okay to pick azithro. We're just telling you from our experience that azithro has slowly and slowly in real life not been that good anymore for atypical pneumonia. Really yeah. No, it's not a good choice. But on the boards, that's probably what they're going to go for, and that's that classic association that you learned probably back in med school, which was young person, pneumonia, azithro, home. Right. And that's typically what they're going to do. So 
really the question you got to ask here, does the patient have any major comorbidities? Do they have COPD? Do they have any significant liver or renal disease? Do they have type 2 diabetes, which is the cause of every problem in America, it seems like? <laughs> High taxes? <laughs> type, 2 type 2 diabetes. Inflation? Type 2 diabetes. Type two diabetes. <laughs> Tsunamis? <laughs> so CHF would be another problem. And then, of course, alcoholism and immunosuppression. And they need either a fluoroquinolone or augmentin plus doxy or augmentin plus a macrolide. Say that again. Or augmentin plus a macrolide. These are major comorbidity patients going home going home. So if you don't want to send a monotherapy fluoroquinolone, which is a good thought because we'll talk about in a minute, they have some issues. You need to send them home with augmentin plus doxy or augmentin plus a macrolid. You cannot send them on just one of those. They have nope. major comorbidities. You have to cover for atypicals and your typical bugs like strep pneumo. Do not just give these patients doxy or a macrolide for these folks that are going home with comorbidities. Absolutely. We promise it gets easier from here. So if you have a patient that has no major comorbidities like this guy, you're either going to send them home on doxycycline or a macrolide. Right. You know me. I'm a huge fan of doxycycline. You know me. I did a recent conference presentation on how much I love doxycycline. Hashtag blessed. So <laughs> doxycycline, doxycycline is a wonderful drug. It's amazing. So remember all the risk factors of doxycycline. See our Lyme disease podcast. We refer you to that. Um, doxycycline, hashtag blessed. You can check it out. You can, I don't know what's so funny. I love doxy. Do you love doxy? <laughs> I love it, especially when it just starts ripping into your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the major side effect of it. All right. So when to not use doxy? Oh, there we go. Pregnancy. Children less than eight years old. Remember, it's okay to use it for Lyme disease, though. For some reason, it's not okay to use it for pneumonia. <laughs> you don't mess up the teeth, man. <laughs> we'll wait for the uh, AAP to come back and say, okay. So not to use doxy. Pregnancy, no anaphylaxis. Children less than eight. But you can use doxy and children less than eight with Lyme disease. The risk of doxy, we just said, <laughs> ripping into your GI tract, so GI-related symptoms are common, and you know phototoxicity can happen, but it's less common. What are the risks of the quinolones? Well, quinolones are actually turning out to be pretty deadly drugs. There's some pretty crazy stories out there of quinolones. There is, of course, the prolonged QT, which everybody knows. Right. There is the risk of delirium, cognitive impairment. This is actually a very common thing, especially right. in people that are not just elderly people with established dementia. Yeah. We've seen this happen in people like 50 years old, 40 right, years old. Right. There's a C. diff risk, as we know, with every antibiotic, especially the quinolones. Rarely, very rarely, there's a tendinopathy risk. And then rarely also there's a peripheral neuropathy risk. All right, the risk of the macrolides, of course, are going to be, again, prolonged QT and then some hepatotoxicity. Otherwise, they're fairly benign drugs. I say that with a grain of salt. Right. Let's sum up one more time. The major comorbidity patients, if you're sending them home, remember these are the patients with either liver renal disease, COPD, CHF, alcoholism. What are you giving them when you're going home? Fluoroquinolone as monotherapy, or augmentin plus doxy, or augmentin plus macrolide. Bingo. And then remember our no comorbidity patients, they're going to go home with either doxycycline or a macrolide like azithromycin. Wow, that was awesome. You want yeah. takes out? Yeah, let's take out. And again, what we said at the end, that macrolide, with all the growing resistance, uh, hashtag real life practice, eh, probably not. So. Yeah, so I'll be honest with you right now, if we can inject our own opinions here, because we never do that. I... Uh, <laughs> Pneumonomia. <laughs> I um I don't do zithromycin for pneumonia pretty much anymore. I do augmentin or doxymonotherapy. Yeah, I mean, but... look, if a patient has a viral thing and you want to make them happier and yeah. just give them some, I'm just joking. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> um, hey, I want to give a shout out to Robert Skinner, um, MD. He's actually an emergency resident in Gainesville, Florida. We want to appreciate this topic. This was his idea. He said, hey, I love the podcast. He subscribes. He actually sent me a picture of him carrying his uh, Ian Borbog's mug nice. into into. His ISE. That is amazing. I know. He's like, hey, I hope this helps me on the test. I'm like, it will. 
That is great. It will, sir. We've got to feature him on our Insta account, too. We would love to. Yeah. We'd love to do that. Let's Thanks again, uh, Dr. Skinner. We appreciate your advice on this common ED topic. We're more than happy to cover bread and butter topics in the ED, especially on boards. For you want to sure. lead us out? Yeah, so that's another board bomb delivered. Uh, remember to sign up on our website, emboardbombs.com, feature episodes, feature contact. Again, emboardbombs.com. And remember, our email subscribers do get exclusive review guides and episodes. We like to put uh, particular content uh, just for them um, on our newsletter, so sign up for that. Our Twitter handle is at emboardbombs. Our Instagram is emboardbombs as well. Uh, we really appreciate those Apple reviews. Um, and remember to use those reviews as a way to suggest topics as well. And uh, we're going to talk more about pop culture in the future. <laughs> See you later.